You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I, you know, I've, I've been here once before for this kind of event where you do Sunday morning and Sunday night. And um, I think last time was around COVID time, <laughs> if I recall. Uh, but it was uh, coming here last time, I felt the same emotions are kind of surfacing up inside of me. I love being um, around the Meyer family. I, I, I just, there's just, my, my wife and I will both, we both, like, we, we, we talk things like, you know, is there a way that we can like move to Ames and maybe like hang out with them? You know, we feel that way. That's how, how connected we are. And it's just something about what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life, actually. So you, you, you get to know people and it's, it's very easy within the church to, to know somebody and know somebody essentially the way you know them is I see them at church, we talk, we have same hobbies and all that. But then there's a deeper level of connection that happens when you connect at a very deep spiritual level with somebody. And I can't quantify that exactly for you. All I can say is what happens is you connect with them and there's this spiritual bonding that occurs. And as hard as you try to try to break that bond, it's nearly impossible, number one. But then number two, that it's where the real work happens, where you are willing to walk with people and through thin and thick and thin and, and to love them. And when they're hurting, you hurt. You know, and that's really, you were talking about that, Drew. That's really what the body of Christ is all about. Jesus calls us to those kind of dynamic relationships with one another, where we can walk with each other, where we can do life with each other, where we can encourage one another, where we can build each other up, where we can cry with one another. That's what we are called to. And uh, the relationship that, that I'm so blessed to have with Tony, with Drew, um, is that kind of relationship. Um, like, there's very few people, they called me and said, hey, will you drive across the state and do this for me? It's not a whole lot of people I'll do that for. <laughs> but if Tony or Drew called, I, I would be there. And um, I'm so thankful, thankful to you guys for your hearts, for your, you know what does it, I think it's, you ever been in a place, and I'm not even preaching yet, but you ever been in a place where you connect with somebody and you realize that you both are kind of like running in the same direction? And you're like, oh, wow, let's, let's, let's do this together. Let's run together, right? And um, I feel that that's kind of where it's at. We, when I first met Tony, um, arrived in Iowa City, we, we sat in a, I think it was an interview. It was a district interview, I think, right? They, they were interviewing you for the job at, at the University of Iowa there. And, and uh, I sat and listened. And, you know, the interview was very sterile kind of interview, like what you're calling and that kind of stuff. But I just, he, he just started crying there. Not, like that, Tony never really does that. He never really cries. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but he just started crying there. And you just felt the spirit of God in that room. I remember it was in a little back room in our little church in North Liberty where he just began to weep and I just knew that this is a man that God has sent here. And he sent, the, you know, in some selfish ways, he sent for me uh, and then Drew stole him. No, just kidding. <laughs> but really, though. <laughs> um, but sent him for Iowa. Can I say something? I, I do have a, a role here. I have a role as the assistant superintendent 
those of you who know me, that's not, I don't care so much about that title necessarily. Uh, one of the things about that role, though, is that I do have a, a lot of insight, um, knowledge of churches across our network here in Iowa. And um, I just want to speak to you, if maybe you, you might have taken some of this for granted, but what you have here in Ames with the, this leadership is a bright light in this state. And I hope you know that. And I, I know you feel it. I know you come here on Sunday mornings, you feel the presence of God and all, but you need to understand something. There's a lot of churches across this state, not just assemblies of God, but a lot of churches across the state that just do not have this dynamic. And you should count yourself blessed. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of you guys. Okay, all right, enough, enough of all of that. I need to get moving. Um, I was uh, talking with Drew before he asked me to come and I was sharing with him. I, in 2019, I, you know, right before, it was during the, you know, the campaigns and election, 2020 election coming up or whatever it was, 2019, I don't remember the exact year of the election, but I think it was 2019 or 2020, 2020, right? Was that the election year? 2020. And, um, and it was coming up and there was just a lot of uh, division and a lot of this stuff going on. And First Peter surfaced up in my heart around that time and I, uh, I began to share and there was, a, there was a lot of unknowns back then. And um, we kind of wrestled through that, navigated through as best we possibly could. But uh, just, you know, we were, it's new ground for us. It was all new ground for us. You know, what is... What is it like to be in a place like this, you know, this kind of environment? And the more specific question is, what is it like, what does it mean for a follower of Jesus Christ to be in an environment like this? You know, we, we've taken a lot of things for granted of what it means to be a follower of Christ here in America. And so I, um, I mentioned to Drew, I'd like to maybe revisit some of that here. And um, so I'm going to do what, like a part one this morning, if that's okay. And... Uh, and then if you don't like it, I don't have to come back tonight, but, I, but I'll do a part two tonight. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, you know, in, in 2015 at a Kansas City middle school, um, a student was banned from passing out flyers. And it was a flyer that was inviting other students to a meet you at the poll event. If you're familiar with a meet you at the poll event, you know, you go to a before, the, before school starts, you meet at the pool and there's a prayer kind of time. And so they were banned from passing out these flyers, told that, that you could not do this. And the reason, the reason they, in the article I read, the reason they referenced was because uh, there was a scripture verse and there was too many references to Jesus Christ in the scripture verse and in the flyer. And so I was reading, went, kept reading the article and, and there was other, they kind of cited other types of uh, flyers that were posted, you know, at the school, at the middle school that were allowed. For example, there was a Little Wayne uh, flyer that was permitted, hung by the, the boys' locker room for six months um, that was inviting them to something. And the subtext said, you know, good cush and alcohol, you know, and so... Uh, read, read the article and it was like, okay, well, you know, Jesus is too much, but little Wayne's okay, you know? And, and that seems to be the culture that we're living in, doesn't it? And I think you're familiar with that. Now, I'm not here this morning to try to, you know, incite a revolution, maybe not the kind of revolution you might be thinking, maybe a different kind of revolution. That's not what I'm here for this morning. It seems like it's just becoming more and more frequent in our culture, that Christianity is being pushed to the margins. It's being pushed out of the marketplace, 
and we find ourselves in a kind of a difficult situation for those of us who love Jesus and want to share our story of Christ, it just becomes increasingly difficult to actually do that in a public place. And so the question for us is, how do we live? How do we live as followers of Christ in a world that seems to be, you know, I, I had a whole list of, of examples of this that you might be familiar with, but how do we live in a world that seems to be pushing us to the margins? 1993, my, my wife, Christy, she's back there, and our family, our three boys, we, we boarded an airplane in, at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and uh, we flew to Dhaka, Bangladesh. We landed in Zia International Airport there in Dhaka, and uh, when we landed, our, every bit of our senses were assaulted. Like the smells, uh, you know, we didn't speak the language. Everybody was speaking to us in Bengali. We had no idea what they were saying, you know. We're just kind of navigating, pulling three little boys, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a, and a four-month-old with us, you know, pulling them along, trying to get through this airport. There was a slew of beggars when we went outside of the airport. Just, I mean, they were just all over the place. And everything was just, we, we just knew when we, when we walked out, we, do, we are in a foreign land. We don't even know this place at all. And there's just two instinctual things that happened to us when that happened. The first thing is that we stuck together. We made sure that we navigated our way through that airport and that all of our kids were with us that you know, all of our bags were us. we were just sticking together. And the second thing is we made sure that we had our passports. Because our passport was our identity in that country. We became very, very aware that we were foreigners in a strange land. That we were actually aliens in Bangladesh. And it dawned on me this week as I was thinking about this that the same things that we need to prepare ourselves for as we travel abroad or do are some of the same things that we need to do as a Christian navigating through this world. Like the metaphor that we find in 1 Peter is that, that we are aliens and strangers in this land. Now we, because we have grown up in a country that we have labeled as Christian in many ways, we don't consider us, we feel this rightful thing, like this is ours. We're not strangers here, we're not foreigners here, we, we belong here. And yet the scripture teaches us that we are, in fact, strangers and foreigners just passing through. And so the longer I live, the more I feel like what Peter's talking about is very relevant, really, very especially relevant to us. It's clearly, this is clearly true in the political atmosphere that we find ourselves in right now. Again, I'm sorry, Drew, I'm, you know that I'm, I'm not, I promise you, I'm not gonna talk about politics here. <laughs> Okay, but this is clearly true. I mean, I honestly, I cringe. I cringe as I watch how Christians respond, for example, on social media. I, I get nervous as I see it and I'm like, oh, I see a post come up or some, something happen and I'm like, I, I view social media, I'm like, no, no, don't, don't, please don't respond, please don't say, oh, you certainly did. What are we supposed to do? How are we going to respond in this world? Peter's writing to some Christians at the, who are beginning to experience some, some very serious persecution. 
Nero, and it's just beginning for them actually. Nero has just become into power. We're going to be looking at First Peter, by the way, so you can open your Bibles to First Peter. But Nero has just become has just become the emperor. He's in power now, and and things are going to just get really really bad. His audience, these Christians that he's speaking to, are going to face some uncertain, an uncertain future. Many of them have already been arrested. They've been ostracized. They've lost their jobs. These are things that we actually see happening even in our world today. This is going on. A lot of them are being tortured. They're being beheaded. They're being utilized in the games. I mean, this is some serious stuff happening to these Christians. And so Peter's going to speak to them about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this kind of environment, which to me, as I read Peter, I say, this is a very relevant message for us. Like, this is something that we need, we need to revisit Peter and say, Peter, what are you saying to us in this world that we live in? <clears throat> so what I want to do is I want to talk about that. But I think it might be helpful first to, uh, we'll, we'll get into the scripture in just a second, but it might be helpful for us first to, to understand a little bit about what persecution means. There's a, a Catholic priest who wrote an article and he kind of, in a very powerful way, details out the, uh, the stages of persecution his name is Charles Pope, uh, and this is what he says. He says, stage one of persecution starts with stereotyping. This is where you get a description of the few and it's used for the entire group, right? So Christians get stereotyped as hypocrites, as repressed, as angry, as judgmental. Now, that's not true for all Christians, but some do that, and because some do that, then all of them do. So all Christians get stereotyped as repressed, angry, hypocrites, etc. Second stage is vilifying. This is when Christians don't line up with what is culturally accepted, and so they get vilified. Words are used to describe them as people who are taking away the dignity of others. And so they use words like closed-minded, intolerant, bigoted, homophobic. Vilifying often happens and is used because the people that want they want to feel better about themselves to not like another group, so they kind of vilify this other group, right? The third stage is marginal, marginalizing. <clears throat> we see more and more of this happening these days. It's after Christians, uh, you know, are, they've established that Christians are the enemy of society. They move them into the margins of society. And they say things like, hey, look, it's, it's fine if you have your church. It's fine if you do whatever you want to do in your church, just you can't do it in the public sphere. You just can't be out there in front of everybody, right? And so it's no longer to talk about faith publicly. That's marginalization. Then fourth stage is criminalization. This is where legislation is brought against Christians for practicing their faith. Uh, a cake maker who is a Christian decides, I don't really want to make a cake for a same-sex marriage. And so it gets criminalized, okay? And then number five is persecuting to degrees of which could vary widely, but basically heavy fines, loss of property, incarceration, even death. Now, this is nothing new. What I just said, these are the stages of, of persecution. These things have been happening throughout history. Uh, even recently, it's been happening. Um, there's a, a pastor that I actually heard speak once who was martyred in Iran, Mehdi Dibaj. In 1994, he was found guilty of proselyting and converting from Islam, and he was basically killed for his faith. And so the question for us is how do we as Christians, how do we respond in a world that feels like all of this stuff is happening, like there's this persecution happening in a world where we become the minority? 
Now, the tendency for us is that we, we want to feel discouraged. We want to, you know, we feel defeated. Maybe we want to fight back. You know, we want to figure out, this just doesn't feel good. But here's what I'm going to say. Peter is basically setting the stage for us. That really, the world that we live in is an opportunity for the gospel to shine even brighter. That's really what Peter is doing here. And this is absolutely true. We have found that throughout history, historically speaking, churches have flourished more under persecution than when they have the mantle of power. An example of that is the Meserite Christos Church of Ethiopia. It's a Mennonite church. In 1982, they numbered about 5,000 in the whole country of Ethiopia, uh, 5,000 members of this church body. And then the communist government took over. They confiscated their buildings. They arrested most of their pastors. They were put in prison for a period of time. A few years passed, about 10 years later, the church now numbers 50,000 people. Mostly meeting in house churches. Historically, Christianity, when it carries the mantle of power, it does not flourish. But when it's under the, you know, the, 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 the threat of persecution, it seems to thrive. So we're being positioned. And I think this is really what Peter is trying to tell us. Is you and I are being positioned to shine brightly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He's, Peter's going Peter's to speak some very direct words to them, but he wants to first kind of prepare them a little bit. So he starts in verse 1. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout. Peter immediately starts off and he says, this is your identity. He speaks two identity words. You're, you're, you're God's elect and you're exiles. Like this is who you are. You're God's elect, you're exiles. And I think what, the reason why Peter is going to do this is because Peter knows that, like he's going to speak to them about their behavior, but he knows that, that behavior has to flow out of identity. It has to. Behavior modification does not work for you to get up, for me to get up here and tell you, do this, do this, do this, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing that. If it's not in your heart, if you don't understand this is who you are, you will never be able to do it. And so Peter understands this, so he tells them, this is who you are. You're God's elect. You've been chosen by God. That is who you are. There's a tendency that when, you know, when we suffer hardship, when we start going through persecution, that we start questioning these things. Like, God, do you see me? Do you even know that I exist, God? I mean, don't you see the dilemma that I'm in? Where are you? And Peter just wants to remind you, listen, you're, you're chosen by God. You're his elect. He uses another word. He uses the word exiles, which basically means someone who's just passing through. Stranger, foreigner, alien. Basically what Peter's saying, this is not your home. Now, I could stop right here and basically not talk anymore and try to land on just that alone. This is not your home. And I think most of our trouble, most of our struggles in this life is that we have gotten very comfortable in this home. But Peter's saying, this is not your home. You're just strangers. You're just passing through. And he reminds us that in conscience of suffering, you need to remember who you are. Verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like he's reminding them who they are. Now he's going to remind them of their true home. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given, a, given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. You like that? You have new birth. <laughs> you, 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 you have hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an, etern- and in, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So here Peter talks about this living hope. It's a living hope means it can never, it can never perish. It can't be taken away. It can't be taken from you. you. It has been given. If you have been born again, if the word that Pastor Drew used, if you have surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, you have been given an inheritance. And that cannot be taken away from you. It has been given to you by God himself. Peter's going to challenge these Christians, but he's trying to tell them, listen, this is who you are. Remember this. He's going to have some very strong words, but he's setting them up, basically, before he starts challenging them. He's letting them know that their behavior must flow from an understanding of who they are. Do you know who you are? I know. I mean, I've been pastoring for some time. I'm pastor. You probably understand this, that some of our biggest challenges is just convincing somebody, you know, as a follower of Christ, this is who you are. And because this is who you are, this is how you can live. Now, not so much this is how you should live. Yes, this is how you should live for sure. But sometimes I think we shortchange ourselves because we don't really fully understand that we are sons and daughters of God, that he is our father. We treat him sometimes like he's an adopted parent, like doesn't really like me a whole lot. Listen, if we know who we are, and if we know where our true home is, then there's strength there. There's strength there. We can persevere. Just remember, when things get tough, when it gets tough around here, and you're starting to feel a little homesick, you have a home. You have an inheritance. That word he uses there, he says, the word inheritance is, is the word he uses there is kept. It's this idea of a reservation. I remember a few years back, I went to, uh, uh, we went to Orlando, my, my, wife, my wife and my daughter and I went to Orlando, uh, made a reservation for a, a, a vehicle at Alamo rental car, got there, you know, start, got to the, you know, where the, the rental car place is in, in Orlando and uh, stood in line, standing in line waiting to, to, uh, to get our car and in front of us was a guy and he was just mad. He was demanding, I want a car. I must. And he was giving all kinds of explanation why he needed that car. He's demanding his car. And the poor young lady on the other side of the counter is like, but sir, you don't have a reservation. <laughs> and so he just kept, he was like angry. He's cussing and he's saying things like, and he, he even threatened. He said, you know, he, he was going to use his considerable influence and power to bring down this Alamo rental car company, you know, and all that stuff. It was so, it actually was kind of entertaining. So I'm sitting back there it's like, I'm just eating popcorn. Like this is, you know, free entertainment in Orlando is good. So I'm like eating popcorn, you know, like hey, I'm not eating popcorn, but I was just standing there just being entertained by, by this guy. So finally the guy ends up leaving without a car, has to catch a taxi, move on. And I walked up to the counter and I wasn't distressed. I wasn't afraid. I was smiling. I walked up and I said, hey, uh, I'd like to get my car. And she said, do you have a reservation? I "I certainly do. (laughs) And there was no problem there. And I think this is really what Peter is trying to convey. 
He's trying to tell us, listen, you have a reservation in heaven. And because you have a reservation in heaven, you don't have to panic. When things go crazy in our environment around you, you don't have to panic. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to be frustrated. You have a reservation in heaven. And if you understand that, it will help you to respond with the right attitude. It'll help you to face the challenges that you're facing. Jesus said to his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, don't, don't, don't get so upset. Don't get worked up because I have gone to prepare a place for you. Do you get the connection there? Like, as Christians, we don't have to walk through this life troubled, upset, angry. Why? Because God has gone to prepare a place for us. Verse 6, he tells us in verse 6 that this hope can translate into, into joy. He says, so be truly glad. Like, if you're being persecuted, things are not going your way, be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Like, he reminds them, this is temporary. These trials will show what your, that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Like your trials, they're testing you, but it's testing like gold. He uses that analogy right here. That basically what, what Peter says is that fire is an, is an opportunity for gold. We don't want fire in our lives. None of us naturally want to go through difficult circumstances, but here's when it, when it does happen, know that there's a, a purifying that can take place in your heart and in your life and in your family. It's an opportunity, actually, what happens to gold when it gets purified by fire? It becomes brighter, shinier, right? And that's what happens to us when we go through struggle, when we go through difficult circumstances, when we go through things that, like, if our values are being challenged in the, in the public square out there, and we feel this stuff happening, as we navigate this and we're, we're, feeling, we're feeling like we're being put under the fire, we're put under pressure, we lean into God and we lean into what we know is true that we have an inheritance that's been kept for us. We actually come out on the other side shining a lot brighter. <clears throat> Verse 7 He says, So when your faith remains strong, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So Peter again reminds them that this day is coming. You know, I remember when I was younger, we don't really talk about it a whole lot anymore in, in evangelical Pentecostal circles, but I remember when I was younger, we used to talk a lot about the coming of Jesus Christ. Like that was just always there, you know? And I don't know if it's along the way, it's like, well, you, the last 40 years you've been talking about it, it hasn't happened yet, so let's not talk about it as much. I don't know if that's the reason why, but there was something about that. There was something about that hope that was instilled inside of us. In fact, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, about this hope. But there's something about that hope that gets instilled inside of us. Like, like, Jesus, you're coming. It gives me this, this understanding that this home is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that one day I'm going to be in a place where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. Listen, your hope is not in government. Your hope is not in being popular or well-liked. Your hope is in heaven. So be truly glad. Uh, 
I don't remember, maybe 10 years ago, we went on a missions trip to Haiti. And uh, I remember going on this trip. There's a few things that were pretty uncomfortable about that trip, actually. Uh, a lot of things that were uncomfortable, actually, at, on a missions trip in Haiti. Um, I, uh, I, I, I bunked with Damon Walker. I don't remember Damon Walker. That was a, that was a joy. <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so, so we were... <laughs> My wife's looking at me like, why did you say that? <laughs> um, but, but we said, you know, there was all kinds of challenges. You had low water pressure, so when you're trying to take a shower, you know, you're like jumping around the shower, trying to get some, get wet, you know, and that was frustrating a little bit, you know, and food and those kind of things. We, we had air, AC, it was hot, it was in summer, so it was really hot in Haiti, and they had air conditioning units, but then the power would go out every single night, and then, and then, you know, come back on, you know, a couple hours later. But the problem with our air conditioning units is that they were remote controlled. And so you needed the remote to turn them back on. But the problem is, is they had only one remote control for the entire floor. So when the power would go off, the first thing we do is a bunch of people in pajamas walking out and say, hey, who has a remote? Who has a remote? We're looking for the remote control because we want to turn the AC back on in our room, you know. After being there about five days, we began to hear, you know, talk about things like, the food that we miss from back home, you know, like a few Iowans were like, man, I just can't wait to get my hands on a big, gigantic pork tenderloin, you know, or I was like craving Five Guys burgers, you know, and that kind of stuff. We experienced funky traffic, but we'd have these conversations. We just laugh. We laugh about the near misses. On my way down one day for breakfast, every, every morning, every morning at this guest house, we had, um, we had noodles for breakfast, like spaghetti, like Chinese stir-fried kind of noodles for breakfast. And uh, at first, I was like, what are we eating for breakfast? You know, but like after seven or eight days there, you know, it's pretty much noodles every morning for breakfast. We're like, okay, noodles. And then they would give it to you with ketchup. They'd serve ketchup with the noodles, you know, and... So I'm walking down the steps, you know, for breakfast, and one of our team members is like, hey, what do you think, what do you think's for breakfast this morning? <laughs> And I, and I said, I don't know, maybe noodles or something like that, possibly, you know. And we go down, and sure enough, we had noodles. A lot of laughter going on. You know why we were laughing, though? Haiti's not our home. We knew that in just a few days, we'd be on an airplane back to Iowa. And we'd land in Iowa, and I'd probably stop at five guys on the way home. I'd get in my shower at home and I'd have a full, full pressure shower. It was not my home. And I think this is really, this, it's this realization that makes all the difference in the world for us. So if we could get that in our head and get that in our spirit, I'm just passing through here and I'm just gonna honor Jesus as I pass through here, we become, we become the force that God has called us to become in this world when we do that. Beautiful example is found in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they, they're you know, on, their, on the way, they're preaching, you know, and they're in Pisidian Antioch. And uh, they get to Pisidian Antioch, and they decide to go into the, the synagogue to preach, and they start preaching in the synagogue. Some people, a lot of people accepted what they had to say, but then the next day, they, this huge crowd comes to listen to Paul and, Paul and Barnabas, and, you know, they're kind of big crowd, and so the, the leaders of the synagogue got a little bit upset. 
And it tells us in verse, in verse, 50, in verse 50 that they began to heap insults at Paul and Barnabas. Like they were angry and they were you know, just making all kinds of accusations. Verse 51 says this. You've heard this verse before. They shook the dust off their feet. They shook the dust off their feet and just moved on. I like how the message paraphrases that passage. It says, Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders and went on to the next town, Iconium, brimming with joy and the Holy Spirit, two happy disciples. Can I ask you a question? Is it possible for you to have joy and happiness in an environment that we live in? I think, I think we're all like intellectually, oh, that's the right answer, say yes. That's the right answer, you better say yes, right? <clears throat> but truly, how disturbed are you sometimes when things happen around you? Does it affect your spirit? Does it cause you to say things that you should not say or do things you shouldn't do? Does it cause you to shrink back? So the question for you and I is how are you going to respond when it feels like your faith and the values that you hold are being challenged. And it begins with a right heart. It begins with a right heart. We're homesick, but we're happy. And when I say homesick, I'm not saying homesick like for Iowa. I'm saying homesick for heaven. Because I know that I have an inheritance kept for me. Like if I could just put my focus in on that, then the things around me just become, they just, they just diminish. They just diminish. We're happy because we're here only for a short while. I think, you know, I think we must look awfully shallow to the world when we come into a building like this and we raise our hands in worship and we praise God and we hear the word of God preached to us and then some politician makes a bonehead decision and we're like, ah! And we're posting all kinds of crazy stuff on social media and we're angry and we're talking to other people about it. People are like, wow. Are you sure your God's on the throne? <laughs> Listen, let's not be Christians whose hope seems to rise and fall with every election. Let's not be Christians who seem to have more faith in our Supreme Court than really our Supreme Being. Let's be Christ followers in this world that when the world seems to be caving in, we are shining brightly like pure gold. That's really what Christ calls us to. So you might feel a little homesick. You might feel like, man, I don't know if I want to be in this place. You might be struggling. I mean, you might very, I'm not trying to minimize the things that you feel challenged by, by the way, just so you know that. I'm not here to say, you shouldn't feel that way. I get it. I get, I have grandkids and I'm concerned about them going to public school. I get that. But my faith is bigger than all of that. And my hope is in something much more solid than that. And when I put, anchor myself in that, this is what happens. I begin to shine brightly in this world. If we really want to make a difference in this world, let's start shining brightly. That's what we're really going to do. And so, I don't know how much time we have, but I'm going to start wrapping up here if that's okay. I... Uh, you guys were, during worship, were singing that song, Because of Christ. Is that okay that we sing that song again? Are you guys good with that? 
I didn't, sorry, Scott. I know you asked earlier and I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> so, um, I, I, there's a, some families that I know in our church. It's really broken my heart. Um, <clears throat> kids that don't talk to their parents anymore because they just have differing views of politics. That's broken my heart. Families that have just separated because of that. There's people who have left Life Church because we just weren't vocal enough about the political situation that we were in. And you know, I've, I, I'm listening to all of this and I'm experiencing all of this and all I can feel as I'm listening to all of this is that the enemy is winning when we allow those things to happen. The enemy's winning. God never wanted, especially when everybody calls himself a Christian, God never wanted a father not to have a relationship with a daughter. Especially if you both call yourselves followers of Christ. Wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. And yet it is happening and I think a big reason it's happening is because we don't understand where our true home is and what our true anchor is. Our hope is not in this environment that we find ourselves. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. I love that image there. I hope that is embedded in your heart because if you're doubtful about anything, if you're worried about anything, if you're afraid of anything, you can look at that image and know that that's where you will find hope is in Christ in Christ alone. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.